So we're in 1 Corinthians chapter number 4, and um, as a background, what Paul is doing here, he's been talking to them about the way, uh, the, the way that they use wisdom, and their tendency is to use worldly wisdom to go about Christian ministry. And that's the exact opposite of what God wants them to do. And in today's passage, he's showing them that they can't use worldly wisdom to judge how a pastor is doing as well. That, that's what's going on in this passage. And, and so he goes on to say that, uh, that they're not the judge of his ministry, but God is the judge, and he, he begins to unpack how he will judge, what that criteria will be, and these five verses answer these questions. And so when you think about a church, and, and we have a number of visitors here, welcome. If you go to a different church than this one, these verses help us to understand how God will judge a pastor one day. And that, that's what Paul is saying. He says, this is how one should regard us. And so today I'm going to give you five things about how God is going to judge his servants and, and, and what we should think about God's servants who, who minister the word to people in a church. How should you regard the pastor? Number one, you should regard a pastor as a slave of Christ. Um, if you look at your Bible, it probably has a little bit more of a pleasant word. It says, this is how you are to regard us as servants of Christ. Is that what your Bible says, most of you? Most of them say servants. Well, that's, that's kind of a sanitized word because the actual word is the word under rower. The under rower was a slave at the very bottom of a ship. They had these people who rowed. You know, the wind doesn't blow all the time, and so they had slaves that would row. The under rower is the very bottom slave in the ship. They had the most thankless job, the most difficult job, the hardest labor, the cruelest punishment, the least appreciation, and in general, the most hopeless of all the existence of all the slaves. And their job was to get people up on the top of the deck where they are supposed to go. That's their job. Get the people in charge where they're to go, and they are, have the most menial, menial of tasks. That is the job of a pastor. The job of a pastor is with the work of Jesus Christ to get people where they should be going, isn't it? And it, it, very many times it's a thankless job. This word under rower, by the way, came to mean other things. And we do that in, in the English language as well. But we see it several places in Scripture. For example, in Luke 4.20, it says, And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant. Now this is talking about Jesus Christ doing this. Notice the attendant is not named. It's not an important position at all. Another place this term is used. The Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him and the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. Here it's talking about some sort of a junior officer, um, whether it's a junior military officer, junior police officer, whatever it is, came to arrest Jesus Christ. Or it could be talking about a menial household worker. For example, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants, my under rowers would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. And so what's the point? The point is that leaders in the church are working for someone else. They are taking orders. 
No under rower is exalted in a ship. There's no captain of a ship that says, hey, call up Joe Smith, the under, under rower, because his form is beautiful. He's got a beautiful physique, or he just takes orders well. None of that happens. And it's the same with the pastor. The pastor serves the congregation by serving the Lord. It is what he expects that matters, not what the congregants expect that matters. And so leaders in the church are regarded as slaves of Christ. But there's a second thing that he says. This is how you should regard us. Number one, slaves of Christ. Number two, he says, stewards of the mysteries of God. Stewards of God's mysteries. The second picture Paul uses to describe pastors is that they are household estate managers, if I can use that word, a steward. They're, they are someone who is appointed by the owner to manage the property of someone else. Jesus talked about stewards all the time. In Luke 12, 42, he said, who then is the faithful and wise manager who, uh, whom his master will set over his household to give them the portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. And so a household manager is someone who's in charge of the affairs of the estate. The manager hires staff when needed, manages the household supplies, ensures the necessary repairs are made. But there's one thing that is always true, and that is this. Listen, the manager manages the household for the owner. He's just a manager. He's just a steward. That's it. Um, he is not the owner. And everyone under him knows that. And the only reason that the manager ha is in his privileged position is because the owner placed him there. And the only reason a pastor is in a pulpit is because God placed him there. And the pastor must remember that. We are definitely replaceable. Household managers can be replaced easily. Pastors can be replaced easily as well. Now let's take that idea of a household manager and think about it in this passage. He says he's a manager of what? The mysteries of God. What are, what are those? What are the mysteries of God? Well, we've already encountered this idea one time. Look at 1 Corinthians 2 and verse number 7. 1 Corinthians 2.7 says, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before ages for our glory. And so the great responsibility of a servant of Christ is that he is entrusted with the mysteries of God. Now what are those mysteries? Is there some higher secret knowledge that's in the Greek and the Hebrew that we got to tell everybody else? The answer is no. The mysteries of God in the New Testament, whenever Paul uses this term mystery, it's always speaking of the revelation of Jesus Christ that the Old Testament saints didn't have. So if you transfer that to the time that we're living now, the, the pastor is a steward of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That makes sense? That, that's, that's what I'm a steward of as a pastor. Um, primarily revealed through Jesus Christ. That's what the author of Hebrews said. In Hebrews 1, he says this, Long ago at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers the prophets, 
But in these last days, He has spoken to us by whom? His Son, whom He appointed the heirs of all things, through whom He also created the world. And so, listen, by application, the servant of God is to make sure that every Sunday morning he is providing to the people the Word of God. The pastor needs to make sure that he confines himself to this task. Now, I would imagine, I haven't done this, but I would imagine that you can travel all over Culpeper County, Fauquier County, Madison County, and you can go to churches where the sermon is that is being preached is Bible-ish. What I mean by that is it contains some Bible truth, but the sermon is primarily opinion. The sermon, the, the talk, they'll call it a talk. The talk is, is mainly like an advice column. And it's the advice of the pastor or the, the um, opinion of the pastor And that is not to be according to Scripture. According to Scripture, the pastor is a steward of what God says. And it's his opinion that matters. And I'll tell you this. Over the years as a pastor, I've been pressured to speak on many different things, to use this pulpit to advance many different things, whether it's a political agenda or or a social agenda or whatever. But the challenge for whoever stands in the pulpit is to remember that they have been entrusted with the mysteries of the hidden wisdom of God. That is all I have to talk about when I'm here. And that, my friends, is a far higher purpose than some political agenda or social agenda. Now, why is that? Let me, let me make this clear. Because man's opinion never changes hearts. Only God's Word changes hearts. You know what the Bible says? I can give you my opinion until I'm blue in the face. And if I started doing that, this, it would just dwindle in this congregation, right? Your opinions are stupid, pastor, or whatever. But it would not change. It would not grow this church. What I think about politics or anything else you know, speaking of politics, um, can I get political? Okay, mark this down. This is the most political you will ever hear me get in this pulpit. So everybody listen. Okay, you ready? Did you know we had a Second Amendment rally this week? You, you heard about that. Okay, you heard that there was a Second Amendment rally. I, I, Christians have been spouting their opinions about this rally for weeks. It is so disheartening. I heard of Christians who had a desire that Governor Northam would lose it before the Second Amendment uh, got passed. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that kind of opinion coming from a Christian. The, the Second Amendment is not a moral issue. It's a personal freedom. And more importantly, this flies in the face of God's desire. What is His desire? His desire is that we pray for our authorities. How can you earnestly pray for your governor's salvation if you're hoping he loses his life before the Second Amendment gets passed? 
That is nuts that people are so wrapped up in the Second Amendment and politics. If you're that wrapped around the axle and that, that thought sounds appealing to you, uh, I don't know what to say. It's getting awful quiet in here. Let me, let me say one more thing political and then we're going to get back into Scripture. Are you ready? Here we go. Did you know that please the Lord that Donald Trump is president? And did you know it also pleased the Lord that Governor Northam is governor of our state? Do you know why I know that? Because the Bible says that he placed them there. He places rulers and he removes rulers. So therefore, if it pleases the Lord that they are in the position that they're in, then we need to follow Scripture. And what do we need to do? Romans tells us to submit to them. And Paul tells us in other passages to pray for them. Those are our responsibilities. All right, well, that's as political as you'll hear me get. And by the way, if you, if you do those two things, you know what the Bible says you do? This is amazing. You avoid God's wrath. Don't you want to avoid God's wrath? All right, enough of politics. I am to preach the mysteries of the wisdom of God, nothing more, nothing less. I have opinions and ideas about things, but it's not my place. My ideas are my opinions that matter. What matters is God's Word. Now let's take these two things that we just learned, that the pastor is a slave of Christ, and the pastor is a steward of the mystery of God, and let's back up and take a big view just real quick, because the tendency of people is one of two things, and Paul is fighting against these things. One of the things that we do, and I want to illustrate this, let's say that you're invited to some big mansion somewhere. Let, let, I know, let's just say that uh, somebody actually lived in the Biltmore Mansion. And I know many of you have been to the Biltmore Mansion. And, and if, you, if you own the Biltmore Mansion, there are dozens, I don't know, maybe even hundreds of people to work there. I have no idea how many people work there. But you walk in, and you're going to have an appointment with the owner, and, and uh, you, you're there for several days and you start talking to your friends and you say, you know what? I love that butler over there. He's a tremendous guy. He's, he's the best employee here. And the other person looks at you and says, no, 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 no. It's not the butler. It's that gardener. Have you ever paid any attention to that gardener out there? That gardener is just a wonder. He deserves all kinds of praise and glory. And this house is what it is because of that butler. No, this house is what it is because of that gardener. How ridiculous is that when the owner of the house is right in front of you? Well, that's what we do with pastors. We elevate pastors. You know, Dr. So-and-so, he is such a wonderful man. And, and, and this church is what it is because of Pastor So-and-so. And we elevate these kind of people. And the Bible says that um, that ought not to be because we are simply slaves of Christ. Um, the identity of, of a pastor is that we're servants and underrowers, and, and so we shouldn't divide over different pastors' opinions and, and that sort of thing. Let me give you a third thing. I'm going to have to speed up just a little bit. The third thing about um, pastors is that they're required to be faithful. Look at verse number two. Moreover, is required of stewards that they be found faithful. This is the judgment of stewards. How is a Lord's servant to be judged? He is to be judged 
not by his eloquence or his innovation or his creativity. He is to be judged by his faithfulness. There's only one absolute requirement by which God will judge his servants. What is it? Faithfulness. That's, that's the one. Look, think about Matthew 24. Now, Matthew 24 is right in that section where, where Jesus is talking about the end times, what's going to happen to Jerusalem, what's going to happen in the future. And he says this about stewards. He says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his fat master has set over his house to give them their food at proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. That's the standard. That's the standard by which pastors are judged today. Well, are they? <laughs> are they judged by that today? How do we judge pastors today, by the way? You, you can be real with me. It's all right. The size of the congregation, would that be the biggest one? I remember when, um, when I was a kid, I lived uh, about an hour and a half from Chicago, and we lived near the church that had the largest Sunday school in America. I don't know if you've ever heard that advertisement, but uh, the, that church also baptized more than anybody else in, in the country, according to their records. Um, but uh, um, we judge pastors by the size of the congregation. Now, what's the problem with that? What's the problem with judging a pastor by the size of his congregation? The answer is what we already learned in, in, in 1 Corinthians, and that is, Paul planted, Apollos watered, and who gives the growth? God gives the growth. So why would we judge a congregation by the growth, or judge a pastor by the growth that God gave? What, what's another, what, what's another um, way that we judge pastors? Uh, they're gifting, right? They're gifting. This, this pastor is particularly gifted. Well, what's the problem with that? Who gave him the gifts? Right. Do, do we judge them any other way? How about their personality? Well, I like that guy's personality better than that guy's, right? And we judge them by their personality. Again, what's wrong with judging a pastor by the personality? God, God gave him the personality they got. And so um, God is the one who gives all these things so if these things are given to them by God, why would we judge a pastor by these things? So a pastor is to serve the congregation by serving God like an under rower. He must serve as a steward of the mysteries of God, and he must be faithful when he does it. And let me give you a number four. He cannot care about others' evaluation of his ministry. Now, that doesn't mean that he doesn't care. When I say that, what I mean is that he should not elevate the opinion of others above the opinion of God. So if we look at verses 3 and 4, notice what he says. But with me is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself, for I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. Why? Because the Lord is a judge. And there's the answer. This is not to say that a, a minister is not insensitive to the needs and opinions of the people. Uh, um, and a matter of fact, a little secret, I like to hear sincere words of appreciation. 
Uh, if you tell me, Pastor, that was a good sermon, uh, I want to know why. Why, w- why did that sermon bless you? What was it about that sermon to bless you? Not because I want to you know, hear, hear accolades, but because I want to know how the Lord is working, right? So the pastor's not insensitive to that, but a, as a matter of fact, being critical sometimes is very helpful too, but do it in the right way if you, okay? <laughs> I, I won't say that. I have a sensitive heart. (laughs) But what are you laughing about? (laughs) But but listen, the reason one of the reasons why a pastor should not elevate other people's opinion is that their opinions are defective. And what I mean is you don't have perfect insight. You don't know what a person's thinking. You don't know motives of the heart. That's, that's what God does. Um, we, we do staff evaluations here at Providence Bible Church. Mine's supposed to be coming up. I'm excited about it. Why? Because the elders will help me in, see areas where I need to improve, and they will commend me where areas I do well. Um, I'm not ordering my life around their opinion or your opinion because it's only God's opinion that matters. I, I have an idea how I'm doing, but as Paul said, Paul said he can't even trust himself. Why is that? Because God is the perfect judge of a ministry. And a minister serves his people spiritually only when he's faithful to Jesus Christ and only when he's a steward of the mysteries of God, and he should be faithful in dispensing that. And there's one last thing I just want to get to real quick, and, and it's, it's a, it's a um, real easy thing. We've already talked about it. The other thing about God's servants is that God is the judge. Look at verse number five. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light things now hidden in darkness, and disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation to the Lord. God has a day planned when he will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and disclose the purposes of the heart. Now, these two phrases refer to the inner attitude of man, the inner man, which only God can see. And so the the ultimate judge of of every kind of pastor and every kind of servant is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will judge them by their motives. So he's going to look at their life and see if they're faithful. And then he's going to look at the motives by which uh, they did those things. Now, that sounds like a really scary thing, doesn't it? And it is a really scary thing, except that one of the things that we know, the Bible says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ, right? So this judgment is not a judgment of sin. It's a judgment of reward. Now, I want to apply that to you for just a minute. By extension, these things can be applied to the person sitting in the, in the seat out there. And here's how. Because parents, God is going to judge you by how faithful you were in raising your children. He's going to judge you by the motives of your heart. If you're serving here, maybe on the music team, maybe as a Sunday school teacher, maybe, maybe as a greeter, maybe as somebody who uh, does the quiet background things here, God is going to judge you by those motives. But you know what it's going to be? 
It's going to be a judgment of reward. And I've, God is not going to judge by your credentials, by how many letters you have after your name, by how many uh, people you had in your church. He's not going to judge you by how eloquent of a Sunday school teacher you are or how, how great your parenting techniques are. God will reward you for your faithfulness in serving Him and in the motives of your heart. And so one day, this is what I fully expect. I fully expect that when we get to heaven, there are going to be unnamed saints who nobody knew their name, who were faithfully praying for missionaries, who were faithfully serving in, in places that we, we have never heard of, in the church even, silently serving the elderly, silently serving the handicapped, silently serving the children, writing cards and all these things, and they were faithful, and they did it because they loved the Lord, and they're going to have reward after reward after reward heaped upon them. And some of the big-name pastors who had such a flashy ministry and congregation, their rewards will be much less than that silent faithful servant. Let me ask you a question. Isn't that exciting? Isn't it? It's exciting to me that the Lord will reward me when I pray for the Kurds in Iraq, even though I can't go over there and do it. That He will reward me when I pray for the church in Poland, the church in Venezuela, the missionaries that we support there. The last week we heard about the Pregnancy um, Center and Thrive and all of these different ministries and the silent, quiet background things. As a matter of fact, we're going to learn later on that it's these ministries that get the biggest reward, not the upfront mouthpiece types. Did you know that? How... Are you serving the Lord? Are you doing it because you love Him and you want His glory? Are you faithful in doing that? And you may think, man, it is a thankless job to be changing my kids' diapers for the 400th time. By the way, isn't it a great the day that you change your last diaper and you're done? <laughs> isn't that an awesome day? Yeah. Well, if you did that out of a pure heart wanting to serve the Lord and help your child, God's going to reward you, isn't he? Isn't that wonderful? We serve a wonderful God. And so how is God going to judge his servants? He's not going to judge pastors by how big their congregations were, how influential they were, how many letters they had after their name, how, many, how, how great their personality was, how eloquent they were, because these are all gifts that he gives. He's going to judge them by how faithful they were, day after day, week after week, month after month. And what were the motives for the things that they did? And dear believer, the judgment's the same for you as well. That can either be a scary thing or it can be a wonderful thing. I don't know what it is, but we just remember this. We serve a magnificent, loving, kind, merciful God, don't we? Let's pray. Lord, I felt a little bit rushed today, and I don't know how um, these words came across, but I just pray that you will use your word in people's hearts and encourage the saint who, who ministers in a quiet place that nobody sees, 
but they're doing it because they want your glory and your honor above everything else, encourage them. Encourage that young mother who is up in the middle of the night and, and constantly being faithful to train their little ones. No, we don't do that. Yes, we do this. And, and then teaching them Bible stories and teaching them about the love of Christ and, and bless the father who, who, um, who overlooks um, the, the, the matters in his family and, and is faithfully bringing his children to church and faithfully teaching them the word as well. And, and bless the, the grandparents who, who are praying for uh, um, their, their children and grandchildren and praying, Lord, for the ministries of the church. And Lord, I pray that when, when you come back, when we get into eternity, that you will judge the congregation of Providence Bible Church faithful. And when you ask the question, who then is that faithful and wise servant? You can look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, we long for that. We long for the glory of Jesus Christ in his name. Amen.